Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. If you have your Jesus Project book, turn to page 62 in Luke chapter 8. Now, we're in week five of a seven-week series called Growing Up, and it's with the best life coach ever. We've been learning in week one how to build habits that actually can create our destiny. And we learned that from the early years of Jesus. In week two, we talked about work and how every day that you go to work is a bring Jesus to work day. And we can bring Jesus to work with us. Then we talked about God's approval in our lives. And we saw that in Jesus being baptized. And then last week, what a great teaching on prayer and a great opportunity for you to participate. And make sure if you want to engage in our church life in prayer, we have cards at the uh, Next Steps Lounge as well as at the Info Desk that tells you all the prayer opportunities we have at church community, chance to pray with others, to grow in that area. This week, I want to talk to you about how to do life together. Now, it's not lost on me, and I'm certainly not lost on you, I'm sure, that Jesus, the Son of God, the Creator of all earth, He did life with teams of people. He needed people. People needed him. And there are three characteristics about all of the teams or groups that he did life with that I want to talk about today. And Luke chapter 8 is where we'll find them. But before we jump there, I'm going to teach you a brand new word. How many are those types of people you like to expand your vocabulary and you, you know, you learn a new word every week and you try to include it in your sentences, you know? Ben, you got to do that because then you can drop words that make you think, you know, people think you're smarter than you really are, right? Now, here's the thing, though. When I teach you a new word, I do understand that sometimes you might be here over the years and you hear me say something, you're like, did he say that properly? And probably not. I'm from New Brunswick. So, you know, and, and I'm dyslexic. So there's probably a few things working against me on occasion. I was in a staff meeting about a week and a half ago, three or four staff, and I was talking about, you know, and we were refer- referring to the body of Christ, and I was talking about, you know, our bodies have a cardiovascular system, and we have a skeletal system. And one of the staff members kind of smirked, and he said, don't you mean skeletal? I said, no, skeletal. And so he went online, and you can go to these sites that you put the word in, and you press play, and it gives you the proper pronunciation. And, and he, he did that with great glee, I might add, and, and it said skeletal, not skeletal. And then he began to show me other things, and apparently a lot of the world says skeletal. And it made me so sad in that moment that there were so many people wrong. But this is a word that I didn't leave to chance. In fact, I I put this word, this word right here, in one of those word generators. And this is the pronunciation. You're going to hear it now. Let's let's listen to the word. Now you will see how pronounced this word. So let's get right to the it. Yes. 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 Can everybody say that? Yes. Yes. How many thought that was going to be the pronunciation of that word? Not me. Now, does anyone know what ES means? If you do, I want to know because I made it up. 
It's a word that I don't know if it exists. I even looked in my Oxford dictionary, my big one that I keep by my desk, and it's not in there either. But it's a brand new word we're making today, EIS. Remember EIS, write it down in your Jesus Project book because it's really an acronym for the three things that we see in all of the healthy teams that Jesus traveled with while he walked this earth. Every one of them were imperfect. And you need to know this as we jump into this, you know, a little spoiler alert. Every group you join, every team you join, the moment you join it, it's gonna become imperfect. Because everyone is imperfect. But the thing that marked his teams were they were accepting and supportive. And I wanna walk you through those teams. And I wanna invite you to think right now, who's on your team? Who's on your team? You know, before I was ever part of a sports team, before I was ever part of a staff team or anything like that, I was a part of this original team. This is my siblings and I, and I remember this day like it's yesterday because it was torturous. Do you notice here, just in case you can't quite see it, everyone has the same haircut? Like my mom cut all our hair for years and it was always the same haircut for years. And the clothes that we had that matched, they magically appeared from Sears the day before we came to this session. And I love that the photographer, I'm way on the end here, I'm way on the end here, and the photographer asked me to put my arm around my brother Malcolm like that was natural. I mean, normally it would be more like this. But, but uh, no, 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 we like to put our arms around each other. I remember this day really well. This is my original team, plus my parents. They're the original, they're the OGs of my life. And you know what's interesting about your original team? Even if you're young or old in this room, I want you to think about your family of origin right now. And here's two things I know that are true. You didn't choose to be born into that family. So one thing is, if that's a painful memory, we'll get to that. But if that's a delightful memory, you just think, wow, yeah, I had a great family. Just remember, you didn't choose it. You didn't merit it. So don't get too proud about it. And the other thing is, they didn't choose the version of me they got. My parents may have chosen to have me, but they weren't ready for me. Trust me, I know that. <laughs> they weren't ready for the version of me that would come and grow around them. But an original team is really important because this is where we first experienced what together felt like and looked like. This is how we learn to relate to others friends, romantic relationships, even churches. We learn from our original team how to connect, how to relate, and how together feels. Now, Jesus had an original team, and we don't talk often about them, but in Luke chapter 8, verse 19, they're mentioned in the narrative there. And in Jesus, I can tell you this about Jesus' original team, and I can tell it about your team. I don't even need to know your family to know that they were imperfect. Imperfect. Everyone's original team is imperfect. The, the imperfect doesn't mean toxic. It doesn't mean bad. It just means not perfect. And the same was true of Jesus' original team. They weren't perfect either. Jesus was the only perfect one on that team. And this is a list of his team. The Gospels aren't silent on who they were. We don't often talk about them. We talk a, a lot about Mary, and rightfully so. She was an incredible woman, friends, an incredible woman. Uh, but she wasn't perfect. Jesus is the only one that was perfect. 
Joseph, the stepdad, we know this, that in church history or in the gospel narrative, sometime between the age of 20 and 30, Joseph must have passed away because he's never mentioned after that age 12 moment in the temple when they found Jesus during his coming of age moment that we talked about in week one. So at one point, Jesus was part of a, a one-parent family. So maybe it doesn't fit everyone's perfect model of a perfect family. Oh, every family is imperfect, though. Then we see his older brother, or not his older brother, the oldest of these siblings come from Mary and Joseph. So Mary has Jesus. It's a virgin birth, a miraculous event. And then after, Mary and Joseph have other children. So they have James. James is mentioned, and in your community groups, I'm going to unpack it a little bit more because he's quite a man. And he's mentioned, he writes the book of James. He's the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. But while Jesus was ministering on earth, he didn't follow Jesus. Then there's Joseph, there's Judas, Simon, and at least two sisters, because it mentions in the plural in the Greek when it says Jesus' sisters. So at least two, there may have been more. We're not sure how many are there. Now, what's interesting about his family, if you remove the Christmas narrative and the resurrection, because he's meant, their family's mentioned a bit more after the resurrection, we'll talk about that, the only other times they're mentioned in the gospel are times where they're interfering. Can a family interfere? Could your family possibly interfere in some of your decisions? And No. But Jesus' family was less perfect than yours then. Because they're mentioned, and I love the narrative in Mark chapter 3 because it's the most illustrative of this encounter. So in Mark chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, Soon he and the disciples couldn't even find time to eat. Why? Because Jesus has gone viral by this time. I mean, he, uh, everyone wants to get to Jesus. His teaching, miraculous dealings, everyone wants a piece of Jesus. So they're, they're barely finding time to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Now, here I want you to see this. The family's trying to interfere, but it's well-intended. Friends, you know, we miss this sometimes. And it's hard to grace our families because sometimes even they're interfering, it's well-intended. But the beautiful thing is, Jesus had developed good boundaries. Can you say the word boundaries with me? Boundaries. Good boundaries. So that when they came, he didn't respond to their brokenness in that moment because he had prioritized God's voice over his original team's voice. God's voice was more important. And the work that God had called them to. A lot of the relational toxicity and difficulty you have with the people you journey with in life is because you don't have good... Oh, you missed it. That was your cue to say boundaries. It's because you don't... A lot of the toxicity and difficulty you have with the people in your lives is because you don't have good... Boundaries. Boundaries. So Jesus is journeying with this family here, this imperfect family... And this is why, if you've pulled me aside, and many have over the years, and I'm sure Pastor Keith and others, and you've talked to me about some difficulties in your family, you know I always move towards reconciliation and redemption. I'm passionate about the family. And I know that some of us, you don't like to think of an original team because it looked more like an original mess, what you were born into. And it's very difficult to even think about that. 
Some of us, we have something in between. Some of us have had good families, but they were imperfect too. And this is why I've used this quote once before, and I'll use it again here, because it was really critical for me understanding the maturation process for us as we grow older in dealing with our families of origin. It's a quote by a New Brunswick poet. He said this, the day the child realizes that adults are imperfect, he becomes an adolescent. The day he forgives them, he becomes an adult. Is that not true? See, friends, forgiveness is the gift we give our families. And every family is in need of some forgiveness. Pastor Jonathan, are you saying you had to forgive your parents? Of course, and they were good parents. Are you saying that your two sons, Caleb and Keenan, are going to have to forgive you? I hope they do. <laughs> because every parent, even good parents, are a little manipulative, a little controlling, a little domineering, a little directive, a little harsh sometimes. And often parents, we do it out of fear and our own brokenness. And so, you know, we need to remember in those moments that everybody's imperfect. Even our parents were imperfect. Now, here's the thing. How do you find the grace quotient to be able to forgive your family of origin? Uh, Pastor Keith taught me something a long time ago as a leader. Long time ago. And it's resonated with me. He's probably taught on a weekend about this at some point. But I remember I was going through something tough. It was in a different place. And, and, and he said this over the phone to me. He said, Jonathan, just remember when you're dealing with people that each one gives what they have. And that has been the most grace-producing sentence I've ever meditated on and chewed on in the middle of difficult moments. Each gives what they have. Some of us have more to give than others, but each gives what they have. So friends, every team you'll ever be a part of, your church team, your, your friend group, your, your, your original team, all of them will be filled with imperfect people. Imperfect people. And we need to extend forgiveness. Some of us need to forgive our church, need to forgive our friends, need to give, forgive our family. Now, some of you might be saying, Jonathan, I didn't need to come to church to know this. I already know people are imperfect. I knew that before I ever came in here. So why are you always shocked, hurt, perplexed every time you encounter somebody's imperfection? Every time you experience somebody's imperfection, why are you so baffled? Why are you so wounded by it? Why are we so surprised by it? Well, it's because we do know people are imperfect, but inside of each of us, stamped deep inside of us is the image of God from the Garden of Eden moment. And ever since that day, we've been looking for heroes. People that were self-sacrificing. People that were both strong and caring. People that had selflessness in their motivation. And we want to believe it. And then we're so disappointed and hurt when we don't find it. See, C.S. Lewis says it really well. That every one of us has the once upon a time story stamped on our hearts. See, we, we have the DNA that goes right back to the Garden of Eden where everything was supposed to end well. And so we're still looking for it, even as adults to this day. We still want that. We want heroes. 
fact, I want to illustrate this. I, I'm on Twitter, and there's not a lot of great stuff that always fills your Twitter feed, but I, there's a video somebody sent out, and you've probably seen this. Some of you may have seen this, but I've watched this like a dozen times. A dozen times. I don't do that. But there's a reason why I watch this. This is of a 96-year-old man who got caught speeding in a school zone. 96 years old, and he's in traffic court, and he's before the judge. Watch this, and I'll tell you what, how I'll apply it. Let's watch it. Thank you. <clears throat> Good morning, sir. Good morning, judge. Mr. Coelho, you are charged with a school zone violation. Beg pardon? You are charged with a school zone violation. Right. Which means that you were exceeding the speed limit in a school zone. I don't drive that fast, Judge. I'm 96 years old and I drive slowly and I only drive when I have to. I was going to the blood work for my boy. He's handicapped. Huh. You were taking your son to the doctor's office? Yeah. I take him for blood work mm -hmm. every two weeks because he's got cancer. You are a good man. You are a good man. You, are, you, you really are what America is all about. Here you are in your 90s, and you're still yeah. taking care of your family. That, that's just a wonderful thing for you. Well... How old is your son? 63. Yeah. And he's still, daddy's still taking care of him, right? Yeah. <laughs> I only drive when I have to. Yeah. You see that young man over there? That's my son. Now, he's looking at me saying, Dad, when you're in your 90s, you're going to be driving me around. <laughs> you're setting a bad example for my kid. You're, no. put, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. <laughs> Listen, sir, I wish you all the best. I wish the best for your son, and I wish you good health, and your case is dismissed. Good luck to you, and God bless you. Thank you. So why have I watched that so many times? Because I don't know how it grabs you, but I even get a little emotional seeing it again. When that judge points his finger at him and says, you are a good man. I wonder how many men would love to hear that in their life. You're a good woman. And I hear that and I think, how does he know that? How does he know that? How does he know that man, was he good to his wife? Was he ethical at work? Was he kind to his neighbor? We don't know that. But he says, you're a good man. He's not responding, because this man is an imperfect man. He's not perfect. But the judge is responding to the same thing I'm responding to. It's a value of the kingdom of God to sacrifice for the people you love. And at 96 years old, he's taking care of his son. Wow, what, I love that. I love that family value. I love that kingdom value. He's an imperfect man reflecting a characteristic of a perfect man named Jesus. You see, friends, every time you're looking for a hero, and listen, if you're a young adult here, it's good to have people you can look up to in life because many of them will help you raise the bar in your own life, but never mistake them for being the hero. Because as you're looking for that hero, what you're really looking for is Jesus. Jesus is the only person you'll ever encounter 
in your lifetime that upon closer inspection, he will exceed your expectations. Every other hero you have upon closer inspection will show their imperfections. So make sure you keep straight who the hero is. There are, see, we look at stories and people in this life and we want to believe they're good and they are good and we see goodness in places. And then we see other corners of their life and we get disappointed, we get hurt. It feels difficult. And we forget each one gives what they have. Each one gives what they have. Jesus' family gave what they had. And a lot of it was good. And some of it was just their imperfections. They gave what they had. Here's the beautiful thing when you're in a relationship with Jesus. Then Jesus gives what he has. We give what we have and Jesus gives what he has. You see it on full display. On the cross, Jesus is strung out, nailed to this cross. He has the weight of the world and all of our sin upon his shoulders. The father's turned his face from him. And in that moment, the moment where he's the one that should be cared for, he's the 96-year-old man that should be cared for. No, but he looks out and he sees his mom in the crowd. He said, Mom. And he looks to John, his disciple, and he says, Behold your son. And he says, John, behold your mother. What's he doing? In his moment of greatest need, He's taking care of the original team. Man, don't you love that? I love the sacrifice. I love the values of the kingdom of God. I love how Jesus worked, recognizing that everyone is imperfect. You know, my mother-in-law, she might be here in this gathering. I don't know if she is or not, but she's a quiet lady. She grew up in a home that was tough. She grew up with an alcoholic father physically abusive to the children and to his, her mom. Very difficult. She found Jesus, though, in her early 30s. And when she found Jesus, she changed. And she began to share Jesus. Eventually, her father came to Christ and was delivered from his alcoholism. It's a pretty amazing story. But at the end of his life, he had Alzheimer's. And I watched Marie. I watched Marie take her dad into her home and clothe him and feed him, and protect him, and provide for him. She did for him everything he should have done for her, but didn't. And I asked her, point blank, how could you do that, Marie? Where'd you find that strength? And it's amazing how she responded. She said, well, Jesus forgave me, so I forgave Dad. Each one gives what they have. If you've received Christ's forgiveness, one of the great gifts you give the people in your life is forgiveness. So the original team, friends, the original team is imperfect, but so is every team that Jesus journeyed with. It wasn't just his family. Every team he journeys with is imperfect. In Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1, we're going to see the second team here. It says, soon afterwards, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns, villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. The news from Jesus is always good news, friends. Good news from the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him. This is his travel team. I, I, I think of this. You have an original team. You didn't choose them. 
but you, they're part of your life. Some of them are long gone. Some of them are still participating in your life. But you choose your travel team. And your travel team might be made up of some of your family members, but it might be made of work colleagues or childhood friends and others, people that you've done life with in this church for a long season, and you develop a travel team. And for Jesus, his travel team was his disciples. He did life with them. He went to church with them. He worked with them. But they're an interesting group of people, these 12 disciples. You know, uh, so I showed you a picture of my original team. In high school, I had a team that really got me through high school. And it was this team. This was my team in high school. We thought we were the coolest band on earth. We did. And we were terrible. But still, we did. You know, it was just me and some guys from school. We had a band and we tried real hard till we quit and Jody got married. Should have known we wouldn't get far. Anyone know what I'm doing there? You're welcome. You're welcome. Oh, but when I look back now, the sun... Never mind. I've lost some of you, but... This is a group of guys that I did life with. They embodied the characteristic that all of the teams that Jesus traveled with embodied also. It was safe to do life with these guys. And you know why it was safe? Because they accepted me the way I was. And that's the characteristic of a travel team, a healthy travel team. They're accepting. They accept you. You know, I'm following Jesus today, and I know it's largely because of them. See, every human being is made to need acceptance, and we will devolve to the lowest common denominator to find a place where we can take the mask off and truly be ourselves. Truly be ourselves. And Jesus' team is fascinating because he accepts some very unlikely candidates. And actually, Luke chapter 6, it names all of the people in his travel team. Now, some of you have heard some of these names because they're common in the Gospels. Some of them aren't talked about very much. But did you know there's about three sets of brothers on the, of the 12 disciples? There's about six of them, two, three sets of brothers that are related. There's Simon or Peter and Andrew, they're, bro- they're brothers. James and John are brothers. And, and James the Lesser, church historians call him, because he's not mentioned very often, and Matthew were brothers. So there's a whole family dynamic even on this original team, or in this travel team. So that's an added layer. Andrew's the first to follow Jesus, and he invites his older brother, Peter. And we already know Peter's bringing a little bit of spice to the party, isn't he? Peter's the guy that is courageous. We love his courage. The first one out of the boat. He's the man that's very courageous. The first one to declare that you are the son of the living God. Uh, He's the first one to make these declarations and he's courageous. But he's also the first one to put his foot in his mouth. He would have been the loud guy at the table. Do you have any of those people on your travel team? They're a little loud. You know what I mean? Well, Peter would have been that. So he adds a whole different dynamic to this team. Then you see James and John, they're called the sons of thunder. That's the nickname Jesus gives them. And it's because of their fiery temperament. So that's a whole different layer on this team to keep it unified. And if you read the story in the Gospels, it's amazing. Their mom interferes. Their mom wants their boys to be elevated. So mom is encouraging the boys, go to Jesus and ask him to be number one. Jesus quickly deals with that. But that whole dynamic's going on. It's a wonder these guys even got along. As you go down further, you see a guy like Bartholomew. Bartholomew was a glasses half empty type guy. You know those people? Little Eeyore-like? Oh, you don't know any of them. Man, let me tell you, I've met a few. 
The classes always half empty. Critical, often critical. So when Philip comes to Bartholomew and says, listen, I found the Messiah, Jesus, he's the one who says, can any good thing come from Nazareth? He hasn't even seen him yet, but he's already made a determination on him. So, so he's a part of the group there. You see a guy like Matthew, which is maybe the least popular of all of them. Because Matthew is a tax collector, which means he's a collaborator with Rome. He is collaborating with the enemy and extorting money from his own people, not just for the Roman Empire, but for his own pockets. And Jesus chooses him to be on this travel team? I think it's kind of interesting, though, that couple down is Simon the Zealot. A zealot, uh, in 6 AD, Josephus, the Hebrew historian, talks about the zealot political party. They were engaged in guerrilla warfare to try to get out from underneath Roman's power, Roman, Roman power. So I, I think these two guys are on the same team. Can you imagine the campfire? You know, maybe the rest of the guys have left and it's just Matthew and Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot has opposed everything that Matthew ever did, and Matthew has collaborated with Rome. Can you imagine how awkward that initial conversation would have been? How about those raptors last night? 14 wins in a row. 14 wins in a row. <laughs> and that would have been just potential conflict because politically, they were right and left wing about as far as you can go. Politically, they had nothing in common. How do you make this work? How does this even work? And then we jump down to this guy, Judas Iscariot. Now, Iscariot wasn't his last name. That was a designation, designation for his name. Now, you need to know there's a ton of Judases in the Bible. Even Jesus had a brother named Judas. It's not this guy. There's another disciple named Jesus. It's not this guy. Judas was a very popular name because Judas Maccabeus had led a rebellion to free Israel and had for a number of years. And so a lot of the Jewish boys were named Ju Judas during this time because Rome was oppressing Israel and they were hoping another savior would come named Judas. Now Iscariot though, so there's this New Testament theologian. If I'm geeking you out, just raise your hand and say, move on, Jonathan. But there's New Testament theologian. I'm going to keep going though. Ben Worthington III, he said this. Iscariot likely means one of two things. So Iscariot could be the termination of where he was born and where he was raised, which would be idiomin. And this is where Herod the Great was born and raised. And if that's the case, Judas might not have been Jewish or might have been partly Jewish, or at least he wasn't a native to Israel. But the more likely meaning of Iscariot is this. Now, this is kind of cool. That Judas was what they called a dagger man, what we would call a hitman. They, they had a designation, Iscara, which meant that they were the ones that people would pay when someone has harmed their family or someone has tried to take their land or something to kill them. So, I mean, would you choose any of these guys to start a movement that would change the world? I'm a part of a movement, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. I have my credentials with them. So I'm accountable to them. And they hold me accountable to certain things, lifestyle choices, all kinds of things. And it's really good to have that covering. I don't think one of these guys would qualify for our movement. And Jesus chooses them. And Jesus accepts them as they are. But this is what we love about the person of Jesus. He doesn't leave them as they were. 
the longer they're around Jesus, the more they begin to change. Friends, who's on your travel team? You need people on your travel team that accept you. And by that I mean, when you take the mask off and you stop pretending, they're still there. But I will say this, it's not just to find a peer group that'll accept you, because you can find any peer group that'll accept you at one point in time. We need more healthy expressions of accepting communities in our world right now. Uh, I think the most accepting community on the planet Earth should be the church. And sadly, it's not. Why, 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 why would you say that, Jonathan? Well, if the church is filled with people who follow Jesus, then every one of us are people who knows what it means to be accepted when we were unacceptable, when we were not cleaned up, not the best version of ourselves. And so if we can't be a community that accepts people to journey with them in life, I'm not sure we're a great expression of who Jesus was. This is what made Jesus controversial. He accepted people no one else was accepting, not just these ones. There's a lot more in Scripture that he accepted along the way. Accepting people doesn't mean accepting behavior. Accepting, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't wait for you to behave before he accepted you? Aren't you glad that he accepted you and then he got to work on you? He begins to change us as we're accepted by him. Listen, the thing that unifies us is not our theology. We'll all disagree on certain things. It's not even our practice because some of us like church to run a little different than maybe we even run it. It's not going to be our practice, our theology. It won't be our cultures. We're all very different in this room. The thing that unifies us is Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection has made it possible that we can now be accepted into his family That is what unifies us. It is Jesus that unifies us. So he never leaves us as we are. And good travel teams never leaves us as we are. This is why healthy expressions are good. Because Jesus confronts his travel team along the way. He challenges them. And you know you got a good travel team when they call you out. When along life's journey, they call you out and they say, hey, hey. Because they love you enough not to leave you as you are. You know you don't have a great travel team if they never call you out. And they just accept you exactly as you are. And they wish nothing better for you because they don't have anything to give you. So who's on your travel team? See, I hope on your travel team is someone that loves Jesus more than you do. So they can inspire you to go deeper in your relationship. I hope there's someone on your travel team that's kinder than you. Because they'll keep you in check. I hope there's someone on your travel team that's more generous than you are more patient, more gentle than you are. I hope you have those people on your travel team because we grow as we have people around us. You become like the people you hang out with. So be careful who's on your travel team. And it doesn't mean you need all people of faith on your travel team. It doesn't mean that at all. I hope you have a collection of people. And even Jesus had a Judas. (laughs) You're You're never gonna choose a perfect travel team. Travel teams are people we do life with. It's important that we have people that we do life with that make us better people ourselves. This band that I travel with, when I was writing the illustration, I didn't realize this. On Friday, this guy in the corner messaged me. I hadn't talked to him in a long time. He lives in London, uh, in the United Kingdom. 
He produces album records for artists that you would have heard of. Like, he's a big-time producer. What, what interesting guy. I was thinking, we were just talking about these days, and I said, funny, Julian, I, I was just talking, writing about this. And I was thinking, he made me such a better musician being around this guy. He's the guy who had talent in the group. Like, my talent was here, and his talent was here. And so when I saw how he could play, I practiced really, 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 really hard to get here. I'm much better because of him being in my life. I used to coach basketball for years, high school basketball. And I'd always try to get my teams to play against better teams at, at one point in the, in the season. And the reason being is I know you get better by playing with better players. That's how you do it. Friends, if everyone in your travel team looks like you, if everyone in your travel team just, you know, if you have a nominal faith and you've surrounded yourself with people with nominal faith or no faith, well, friends, who's the one who's driving you to go deeper into the things of God? Jesus had this incredible travel team that accepted one another. So we know this about our teams, whether it's the original team or travel team, everyone will be imperfect. That accepting is a gift that we give people in our lives, and it's a gift that you desperately need. And then there's the last team, and we'll pick it up in verse 2 of Luke chapter 8. So he took the 12 disciples with him along with some women. If you've got in the text, just circle that. That's pretty significant. And we'll unpack it a little bit more in our community groups this week. Who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. So all the women that were traveling with them had experienced some measure of freedom, either healed from a sickness or delivered from evil spirits. Among them was Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Next week, I'm going to talk about overcoming opposition, expecting it and overcoming it. Because often in life, we live in North America like there's no spiritual opposition in your way. But you need to understand that there is a real adversary, and there's one, a thief, that comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. We'll focus on that next week. And then there's Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's business manager, one of my favorite characters. Susanna, and this is important, underline this, many others who were contributing. How were they supporting Jesus? They were contributing from their resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So he had an original team, just like you do. He has a travel team, just like you do. Your travel team might be too thin right now, but you've got people you do life with. And he had a support team. And I hope you do too. You know, I have such great supports. There's no way I could do what I do without a support team. And, you know, I, there, of course there's my family and others, but... You know, I don't often talk about this, but I, I thought I'll show you, I showed you a picture of my original team. I showed you a picture of my travel team. So I'm going to show you a picture of some of my support team. The first one is the staff team. This is our staff. Um, man, these people work hard. I see such servant hearts there, such wonderful people. I could begin to name them, but then I'd miss them. I can't tell you, I would never be able to do what I'm doing here. And some of them have left their career path and sacrificed monetary gain and other things because they feel a calling to serve Christ's church and to serve the mission to impact this city. Now, I, why do I highlight them? Well, you know, give honor to those who's due. 
And I honor these people because there's no way we could do what we're doing as a church without them. And I'm so thankful for our staff. And, you know, if you ever get a chance to high-five them and just thank them, you know, that's not, you may not like everything we produce, but I hope you always know, man, they try hard. They work hard and they give their best. What a great staff we have here. And then this next team is part of my support team. These are our elders. Ah, I can't tell you what a breath of fresh air and a lift they are to me and my soul. But you may not know this, they are for you too. They lift the spiritual weight in this church. So before we even came in, like what a, for me that worship gathering was just really significant because I leaned in with my spirit and I felt God just moving in and amongst us. But I already know our elders were praying before you ever got here about that. Our elders pray every week for you. Our elders pray for our staff weekly. They pray for our city. And here's the neat thing. You'll notice some of them wear lanyards sitting right around you and just this elder on it. That's because they want you to know you can always tap them on the shoulder and they're here to lift the load for you too. These are people that are not necessarily older. Some are older, some are younger. But there are people that the leadership of this church recognize they have a spiritual depth of maturity enough in their tank to be able to help lift the loads of others. So I'm thankful for them. And then I have this third team, my deacon team. These are people who volunteer their time loving the staff and the elders and our volunteers and making sure we stay on mission of helping people know Jesus. That's what we're all about. We want people to know the love of Jesus, not only in our church community, yes, there, but also in our city. So they meet monthly. They do like really exciting things like going through budget lines. <laughs> Everything to make sure that we're healthy and we're on track. Well, I'm so thankful for people who give their time. I couldn't do what I do. I wouldn't do what I do if I didn't have a support team like that. Now, why do I mention them? Well, because Luke mentions these three women, and this is pretty significant. Because in a patriarchal society, this was not common to list women's names. Because women were at a subservient level to men in that ancient culture. This is the neat thing about Jesus, and this is what you'll see increasingly in the series. Wherever Jesus go, though, he elevates women. It's incredible. He elevates anyone who's marginalized. He recognizes they are important, they do matter, and Luke is the one who includes a lot of their names where other people don't. So let's look at Jesus' travel team a little bit here. His travel team is filled with these women and many others, it says. So Mary Magdalene was a woman who was from a village called Magdala on the Sea of Galilee, a fishing village, and it was a village where they made garments, and she was likely a businesswoman because she had financial means to support the disciples and Jesus. But she had been freed from seven spirits. And then there's Joanna. I, I told you, I tipped my hand. I really like Joanna's story. Because did you notice Joanna's married and it mentions her husband's name. His name is Cusa. And Cusa works for who? Herod. Herod Agrippa. So you know what's interesting is, if you're new to the Bible, new to this, let me just describe who these characters are. Herod wants to kill Jesus. He's out to kill him. Herod wants to kill him because Jesus is talking about another kingdom, which would have a different king than he is. So he's out to kill Jesus. But he's employed Cusa. And Cusa's managing his money for him. And Cusa gets paid by Herod. Herod pays Cusa. Cusa gives his money to Joanna. Who does Joanna give his money to? 
Jesus. I just love it. I just have this image at the end of the year and it's tax receipt time and they're looking through the donor list and the one of the biggest donors on that list is Herod and he doesn't even know it. This is how subversive the kingdom of God is. I love how it works. Well, Joanna, Joanna's there supporting the disciples. She may have been healed, healed of a disease, but she's also there at the burial moment. And there's Susanna. We don't know much about her except Jesus touched her life and she immediately became a part of the support team. And I love that it says many others, don't you? Because that includes a lot of you. A lot of people serve in this church quietly. Not just in this church. They serve their families, they serve others, and they don't do it to be noticed. And they pray and they give. And it's anonymous. I'll tell you, friends... Jesus knows all of that, though. He keeps good records. And I want to say thank you. Thank you. You're not looking for a spotlight. You're doing it because you love Jesus and you love people. Thank you for your service. So these support groups were powerful and they were important. They supported Jesus to be able to do what he did. And they did it financially, just like many of you in that giving moment. Give so this church is able to do what we're doing. So we participate in that. So you have an original team, you have a travel team, and you have a support team. What's your team look like? I'd like an opportunity to pray with you. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit just to come into this room. And he's already here, but to speak to you. And it's not meaning even in an audible voice. But I believe already as I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to some of you. So... Let's bring those teams before the Lord today. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, pray God you'd search our hearts and minds in this room. And God, I wonder how many of my friends here are holding on to unforgiveness. It might be with their family of origin. It might be with people they're traveling with right now. And God, that, that unforgiveness is toxified and has begun to become bitterness. Father, I pray right now that you would illuminate some of the areas we need to forgive people. And friends, I, I'd invite you, if you just feel, you know, that beautiful gift of conviction, I'd invite you to maybe say this prayer with me. Jesus, Help me to forgive. And you insert a name there. My dad, my mom, brothers, sisters, uncles, friends. Help me forgive my church. Help me forgive someone who's hurt me. And God, the way I'm going to forgive is I'm going to remember in this moment that you have forgiven me. And each one gives what they have and I have forgiveness. So right now, I'm going to give it away. And I'm going to forgive. And friends, I, I ask you to think about your travel team right now. Those that you do life with. Is it thin or thick? God, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice right now that they would find a community where they're accepted. 
where they don't have to wear a mask and pretend to be something they're not. And at the same time, I pray that those communities are healthy. Lord, that they will be strong enough and healthy enough to make us better men and better women. Deeper and more devoted followers of you, Jesus. May acceptance lead us to repentance. And may that repentance change us from the inside out. So God, I pray you'd lead us into community. And God, I pray for those who have a very thin or non-existent support team right now. And God, as a church, we just collectively, and I ask you to add your faith and voice to this, friends, because I felt this all week. God, we just pray for our seniors right now. We pray for those that as we age, we lose friends and loved ones along the way, and our support group can get smaller and smaller. And then children are busy or, or distant or far away, and support can feel smaller and smaller. And I pray, Jesus, we pray, God, that you would bless the seniors of this church with an ever-expanding support team. God, that you would bring people, faithful, trustworthy people, to help fill in the gaps to care one for the other. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.